0: Greatest hit number one in our summer countdown is Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.
1: The context for our greatest hit verse includes verses two through nine um, of that chapter in Philippians. So as you're seated, listen uh, to God's word. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gladness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters,
0: Well, we transition directly into the sermon today, opening up to the book of Philippians. Well, are you surprised at all that the number one greatest hit for us is in Philippians? There are, uh, I have to admit, the, uh, the, the context scripture is, uh, Included another verse that was very prominent in the the survey itself, and and you think of of Philippians. There's so many memorable verses. You know, for me to live is Christ; to die is gain. Uh, different things that Paul said, uh, and you know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. All of those kind of life verses. It's it's where a lot of people go. New Testament scholar Gordon Fee muses in one of his commentaries on Philippians that that when asked about their favorite Pauline epistle that most people would say Philippians and he says that it's largely because we like the person of Paul that we meet there so Paul is is a very encouraging voice in Philippians whereas in some other epistles he can be like in Romans. He's very kind of academic and and philosophical. Uh, in in Second Corinthians, uh, he shares a lot of his own struggles and and even some of the conflicts that he's embroiled in. In Galatians, he he kind of gets a little bit what some might call bombastic, right? He he kind of puts up his dukes a little bit and 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 contends, and and it's not always that gentle uh, that gentle encouraging. Apostle Paul, but in Philippians we meet the Apostle Paul in that way, and it probably had to do with the special relationship that Paul had with the people in Philippi, this the church that that was begun uh, by Lydia. What happens in Philippians is is that Paul connects joy and suffering. So, it's developed into what you might call a Philippian philosophy. Joy in the midst of suffering. Joy, the experience of joy, the visible evidence of joy, alongside hardship. Paul... In writing this epistle that some rightly note is on the theme of joy, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I tell you, rejoice. Paul is writing those words in chains. Philippians itself contains Paul's autobiographical situation where he says he is in chains. It's understood by most that this would be uh, his imprisonment in Rome where he's writing from Rome. He speaks, of, he speaks of all of the praetorian guards in Caesar's household, basically, who are starting to believe the gospel probably because they see Paul experiencing joy while he is imprisoned. We are encouraged in the context of this passage to live a life of joy and to make our gentleness or gladness known to all so that people would notice. And that really kind of is a good way to frame this number one greatest hit, these two verses together, is that it's about God's peace. And it's about God's peace making a noticeable difference in our lives. A noticeable difference in our individual lives, but also in the corporate life of the church. Do you remember that scene in the book of Acts where where the uh, the jailer was, was converted to Christ because after an earthquake... Paul and Silas were singing praises to God, still there in prison. They didn't run off and escape. That scene, I think, captures the sense of this Philippian witness that has worked so powerfully in the church through the ages. People recognizing that disciples of Jesus are just a little bit different. It's not that. For, for all of the the temptations the church has had to to preach a gospel of health and wealth. We are never promised that we won't experience hardship and suffering. In fact, precisely the opposite. Think of the cross and the call to imitate Jesus. And yet, in spite of those hardships, in spite of the suffering... People have come to Christ because they've noticed there's something there in that midst that is changing their lives. It's life transforming. Paul calls that joy. Think of the witness of the church as, as being a community of people who have grace under pressure. Grace under pressure. This is very attractive for most people. I think of Rudyard Kipling's famous poem, If, which starts with this pair of lines. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. This is an expression of the Victorian era Stoicism. Stoicism. Uh, which actually has some connections. Paul's writings in Philippians, uh, especially the last verse, think on these things, those are classic Stoic virtues. And then some of you know these two lines, which are the most famous uh, quoted lines from Kipling's poem. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters as the same. We're getting a sense of what the Apostle Paul is, what he's sketching here. Marva Dawn is a theologian whose writings have blessed many. And she wrote a book called Being Well When We're Ill, which some might think is just a full paradox. How can you be well when you're ill? Isn't it that if you're ill, you're not well? Now, Marvidon has experienced a life full of both chronic illness and disability, and she has and she is writing for all of us who experience those same things. She claims that we can be well when we are ill. When things are hard, we can know joy. We can know God's peace. Now, this whole kind of stoic approach in relation to anxiety, which comes up in this passage, it brings up the the topic of temperament, that we all have different ways of dealing with anxiety. Um, When we talk about like Rudyard Kipling's if. In some ways, it's kind of describing a particular temperament. And for those of us who are a very excitable lot because of our personality, we find that to be very hard and well-nigh impossible to think of ourselves in that way. And we say, thank you very much, Rudyard Kipling, Mr. Introvert, Mr. Keep Your Feelings Inside, but I can't do that because you know I wear my emotions on my sleeve. God made me that way. I've been uh, musing about uh, contrast between siblings uh, just in the last few days after uh, having. Some of you know I'm a, I'm a tennis fan, and uh, the, in the last few days, we may have seen the greatest uh, tennis player, uh, certainly the greatest woman tennis player of all time, Serena Williams, possibly play her last tournament match. And when I think about the sisters, Venus Williams and Serena Williams, you have such a clear contrast of temperament, don't you? Serena Williams wearing her emotions out on her sleeve, it being uh, shared with the world what she feels about something, a call, for instance, or she's more likely to contend with an umpire or something like that. Uh, Venus, on the other hand, is very much controlled. Like, like the, the Stoics would, would say, there's our model right there. And even in Serena's thank you speech at the U.S. Open a few days ago, she mentioned how important Venus was to her, and the camera shot right on Venus's face, and you could see just a little dimple of a smile for a split second. And then it was back to just neutral pose. The fact that we, even in our families, can be so different as siblings, uh, when I think of that, I think of uh, the Jane Austen classic, Sense and Sensibility, and the... The uh, characters, Eleanor and Marianne Dashwood. Now, sensibility, in the way Jane Austen uses it, is not the, the word that we use that word today as, being, uh, as pertaining to being sensible. Which actually is about the sense part of that, uh, that combination of words. But actually, sensibility that Jane Austen was talking about is basically being emotional. So it's like being sensible and being emotional, this contrast. And, and uh, the, the movie that came out in the 1990s on Sense and Sensibility, uh, starring Emma Thompson and Kate Winslet in those two roles, you couldn't get more of a contrast of Eleanor just being stoic and just dealing with highs and lows, heartbreaks, just totally without visible, you know, affect, And yet, Marianne just flowing with her emotions. And so, we all face, we look at this exhortation that we know so well. To not be anxious, but to engage in prayer so that we might experience God's peace. I think it's important for us to recognize that That regardless of how you show your emotions, what your temperament is, anxiety can do a number on us. So for those of us who keep it inside, it can be like, that anxiety can be like an acid. It can be eating away at us inside and yet other people not even knowing. And then for some of us who are those who might express our feelings, we all know when that person, me, is experiencing anxiety. And yet, sometimes it just causes great havoc and pain for others. We emote on people that way, and we basically spew our anxiety on others, and it, and it catches, right? Our anxiety goes to the next, to the next. So anxiety can take a great toll, and God knows this. And so that's what this this text, this verse is all about. So it's all about a peace and a prayer connection. A peace that transcends understanding. This is the part that when we think about joy and suffering, when when we look at it with our human minds and say, those two things don't go together, By Paul saying it transcends understanding, that's what he's talking about. If you think it's too good to be true, without God it would be. But God's peace is different. So let's dig in. It's precisely practical, these two verses. It speaks of every situation that we face. And it opens up and gives us permission to bring every request to God. Verse 6, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This is not a general exhortation or encouragement, to just say a prayer and it be over and done with. And the illustration here, I think, is, is that this is one of those times when you read scripture, that it's important to stick to the script. It's important to stick to the script and do the steps and not just gloss over it. Hey, I prayed. What did you pray about? What words did you use when you prayed? Follow the instructions like you're following a recipe. You know, recently I was doing some work on my car, and I was, I was tightening bolts. And, and like, like when you're tightening the lug nuts on, on your wheels, you have to go in a particular pattern, don't you? You have to follow that pattern. Otherwise, you would be tightening it, but it might be warped the way that it's done. It needs to happen in a particular order. Now, not everything in life has to be that way. Not every exhortation from Scripture is that way. But this is one where it's very specific what we are to do. Same with taking medication. It matters. It's important how we stick to the wisdom. And the first part to us gaining the benefit of what God has for us in these verses is to remember that there is a recipe. I mentioned Marva Dawn earlier, and she, in reflecting on Philippians 4 4 through 7, our text today, she has this confession. She says, This guideline for handling worry is so, capital S, capital O, helpful to me when I remember it. Parentheses, but I confess that I oftentimes forget and dwell on my apprehensions instead. How many of you can say amen to that? Marva, we are with you. So we are encouraged to present our requests to God. You know, requests in Greek is itema. Now, it's not actually etymologically related to the word item or itemize, but it sounds like it. So I'm gonna share with you, when you think of presenting requests to God, that you itemize your requests. That you list them. That, that you actually think in your mind about what it is that is troubling you. And bring that specifically to God. And if there's more than one thing, bring two things. And if there's more than two things, bring three. And if that list has to go on so that you go through a whole ream of paper, you're following these steps. There's something significant in the fact that that the Apostle Paul says, present your request to God by prayer, that's a general word for prayer, and petition. And petition specifically is about specifics. Bring your specific needs, the specific anxieties you're facing, bring those to God in prayer. But do it with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Thanking God for what God is already doing, even God's invitation to bring those requests. It conditions us. It's an important step. The wonderful news is that if we do this, we will benefit beyond imagining. And many of us have testimonies of this, that we've been able to face hardship and suffering and experience God's peace in the midst of that beyond comprehension. And we know it's God. In fact, in all of our testimonies, that's one of the most profound testimonies that we can have. Where we know that God exists. How do you know God exists? Well, I know God exists because I know God's peace and it doesn't make any sense by human wisdom. But when we don't do this, Why should we be surprised when we get stuck in worry? God's peace that is spoken of in this text is powerfully protective. Powerfully protected. We are guarded in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 says this, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. To guard. The Philippians knew more than most what that word means. Philippi was a Roman military colony. It was settled about a hundred years earlier, or like reestablished with veterans of one of the most decisive wars in the history of the Roman Empire. It's when the the republic of rome officially came to an end and the new era of rome that we see in the kind of the new testament era began it was when octavian who became caesar augustus thus caesar augustus who was roman emperor when jesus was born he and mark antony defeated defeated the two generals who had murdered Julius Caesar, and it was decisive, and it was the practice of that day to basically develop uh, this land that that was gained in that and actually send your soldiers into retirement to live there. The most loyal people to the Roman Empire were these soldiers, and they were the people of Philippi. And throughout even the New Testament era, Philippi was a station of the Roman garrison. And so it was, a, it was a city that was watching out for the empire. The people in Philippi knew what it meant for a century to stand guard day and night because many of them did it. So when Paul says that that God's peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, he really means guard. He means 24-hour protection. That's what God does with his peace. How are we protected when we pray? Well, like I mentioned earlier, Philippians is very clear if we just allow it to, to show us, if we're willing to read it and receive this message, that that the guarding that God's peace does is not to keep us from hardship. In the first words of this epistle, that's out the window, because Paul is rejoicing in chains, in prison, as he writes this. We're not given a pass on suffering. But in the midst of both good and bad, the text says our heart and our mind is protected. The heart, the center of our emotions, our mental health, our emotional stability in the midst of the storm. That's how we're protected. And our mind. Our thoughts, our way of thinking can lead us into distress can lead us to fear. In fact, it's often that moment, that how are you going to deal with fear in the midst of an unchangeable circumstance that leads many people to to be inspired by Rudyard Kipling's poem, If. Look at the highs and lows and look at them the same. God brings that about by his peace. Guarding us from the thoughts that would lead us to stress and to panic, to worry and to fear. Personal protection. It's actually all around us, isn't it? In the medicine cabinet at home, as we talked about in the children's sermon. There's cameras on front doors that can record what's happening. There's 24-7 security. There's, at the start of the football season, we recognize that there is an offensive line that guards the quarterback, a very important position. And one of those positions is actually called guard. And think of a, think of a bodyguard of, of someone who is in the midst of the populace and maybe has a great deal of anxiety about that, and yet they can operate in that environment because they know that there's someone who is there who has their back who's looking out for them all of these illustrations we could go on and on and talk about personal protection now we have to raise it up to the greatest personal protection that is offered and that is what god's peace can do for those who are in christ jesus and the protection is in christ jesus it is linked to that support Christ Jesus is the bodyguard. Christ Jesus is the offensive guard. Christ Jesus is the deodorant, the lip balm, the sunscreen. 48 times that phrase, in Christ Jesus, appears in the New Testament. 47 of them written by the Apostle Paul. The words, in Christ, happen another 45 times all the talk about God's peace and how it can guard our hearts and minds from anxiety, it is all predicated upon a connection to Christ. 24-7, with each breath, in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And friends, we are about to step to gather around the table of our Lord. This sacrament reminds us who we are in Christ. It reminds us whose we are. That we are Christ. It also is a place to remind us of the peace of God. That Jesus himself is our peace with God. But that that frees us to live joyfully in the midst of hardship. As we prepare to gather around the table, we think of how Jesus spoke words, how Jesus spoke words of peace, and how from this table, with the elements of his body and his blood, Reminding us of his sacrifice for us, we hear Jesus speak the words In this world you will have trouble, but I give you my peace. My peace, I give you. I do not give as the world gives. What you think about peace from a worldly understanding, that's not my peace. My peace transcends understanding. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid.